This is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 229. Today's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whatever project you want to work on this summer, let Squarespace help you get there. If it's a photography portfolio, a website to start selling workshops, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace can help you get your ideas on the web. Not to mention they have beautifully designed templates and customizable features. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. And by Artbeat Studios. Whether you want to print on canvas, wood, metal, or more, Artbeat Studios can help you get there. Hang your photos on your wall, or if you're a professional photographer, you can sell your work and get them in galleries. Artbeat Studios is the place to go. They're based in California, but they offer free shipping on all orders over $100 to the contiguous United States. Best is they offer pro pricing to all photographers from 20 to 30% off their normal prices. Check them out today and get 25% off your first order. Go to artbeatstudios.com slash improve. That's artbeatstudios.com slash improve. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I'm joined by the photo taco head himself, Jeff Harmon, and Hello. the Latitude host, Brian McGuckin. Hey, guys. Hey, how you doing? Hi. Good. Well, we are going to talk um, a little bit about the Indy 500 uh, that Brian has been <laughs> out shooting, and also a little bit about sharpening in uh, Lightroom. I want to make one quick announcement at the beginning. Really good photo spots um, is going to, I'm, if I have a heart attack and die before episode in 230, it's because of really good photo spots. Uh, <laughs> we've been, I've just been burning the midnight oil trying to get this thing ready. Um, we're pre-recording this a little bit. Um, this is recorded on June 1st. And so it's possible that we'll have it out by the time this comes out. But we do have some bugs. We're still slugging through. Um, and so, I mean, the the final answer is it's going to be out as soon as it's ready. But you should know that we're working overtime to get it shipped as quickly as possible and have uh, as few bugs as humanly possible uh, on launch. So check out the website, improvephotography.com slash RGPS, or just go to improvephotography.com and look for it. And you'll, uh, we have stuff everywhere about really good photo spots. And so all the up-to-date information will be there. All right, Brian, you've been shooting the Indy 500. This is like manliness to the extreme. Uh, <laughs> this is awesome. What's this like? How did you get the credentials? how did you get prepared? Tell me all about it. Well, it started about 10 years ago when I went to the Indy 500 for the first time. I live in the north side of Indianapolis, so I'm about 15 miles technically from the actual track. And the race, the whole May, the whole month of May is just crazy because they're out there doing practices and there's, uh, you know, people come in and will watch for, for free and they'll sit there and drink and bring their kids and eat, you know, a bunch of food and have a good time for the whole month. And for me, uh, I, I just didn't care about racing before. And so I went once with a friend 10 years ago and I sat there out in the hot sun and it was horrible. And I told myself, <laughs> I'm, I'm never coming back. Like, I don't care to sit there and watch cars go around in a circle and to get sunburned. Like, this and is only fun if you're horribly drunk. That's the probably, only way uh, that somebody no, can enjoy I'll, this. I'll explain how it can be enjoyed other than that. Yeah, but... <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I, I vouched that I would never go back. 
And now I've gone every year for the past seven years, but it's a totally different experience. There is, uh, obviously it's, it's the biggest, one of the biggest racing events in, uh, in the world. And so people come into town from all over. And so there's a company that I work a lot with, which we'll, we'll get to here in a little bit, who they hire me often for events. And so uh, IndyCar, which I, I just learned, is they have two types of motors, either a Honda motor or a Chevy motor. And so Honda brings their bigwigs into town and kind of just pampers them for four days. And so my job is to hang out with them for four days. They're kind of like dealers or people that work for Honda and to photograph them at different events. So for example, Thursday night was a welcoming dinner. So I shot uh, kind of decor and and the setup to show the whole room and then get pictures of some people as they're coming in, you know, with their friends or their spouse or whoever they're with. And then usually that night they'll have some drivers come in and they're some of the the top drivers so like Marco Andretti was one and then there's an F1 uh, racer who uh, Fernando I can't remember his full name who this was his first Indy 500 race and usually F1 Formula One racers don't come over to Indy 500 anyways that doesn't matter so (laughs) so there was that dinner with some drivers and then the next day all the attendees, which I think there were about 150 people, they get to go out and do different things, whatever they want to do. So like uh, I went to a go-kart place and shot them as they kind of just drove around in go- go-karts. Uh, they did a, a ropes course, you know, up in, up in the trees one day. So I went there. Uh, they went on like a brewery tour of Indianapolis. Uh, Friday and Saturday before the race, uh, they went on a tour in the garages uh, at, the, at the Speedway. So and are you like on a mini bus with them and just taking, taking candids of them having fun? For some of them, some I, I drive in my own and I'll just meet them in certain places, but sometimes I'll have to go and check in with them and ride with them to certain events. Uh, so like this past time I had to go and shoot some pictures of people golfing and this was the Friday before, which is called carb day. And this is a huge, a huge day for the racing carb so, day. Um, Carb day, yeah. <laughs> like, like eat your, a lot of bread day? No, no, no. Like your carbonate, <laughs> carbonator on a car. And so it's the last day. Oh, no, for, carburetor. Yeah. Oh, it's a, okay. It's, it's the it's, last. I'm on a low-carb diet right now, so carb day just sounds awesome, man. It's <laughs> <laughs> not great. a bunch of Like, no. sign me up for this gig. We'll just eat rolls all, all afternoon. Right, no, no, no. Carburetor. <laughs> and so uh, there's a, actually a golf course that starts outside the track and then actually goes into the track because the track is so huge. And so I just shot pictures of people kind of teeing off at the first hole. And how are they using them? I mean, what's the purpose of these? Like, are they just using it to share on their Facebook for, or what? So, yeah. So it's kind of, I just capture their whole experience because it is a pretty amazing experience. Uh, They get first class everything. And so the pictures I take are just to kind of capture their experience. And then they're put up, I give them to this company who they will put them up on a site where that gets emailed out to the 150 people that came. And then they can go and download pictures of themselves, whether they're in race cars, they do like a two seater where it's a race car, but with two seats and you can ride it on the street. Um, you know, it just kind of looks cool. Yeah. Or if they're there with their buddies, you know, I, I got them, I had them all kind of stand there before they teed off and the racetrack is in the background. And so it's just kind of capturing their experience for them. Cool. 
And so after the golf, I had to immediately get to the middle of the racetrack, which if I drove on my own, that would have taken me an hour when it, it, it was only a mile away. But, an hour? I guess traffic yeah. was just crazy for the event. Right, right. And um, But I got a police escort, so I was in there within 10 minutes. All right. So, That's what I'm talking about. Right, right. This company arranged that police escort for you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so, like, on the morning of the race day, so then I also end up, I go to the race with them, and I get pictures, and it's nice because they have a suite. And so I'm in a suite at the finish line, and above the suite outside are some bleachers that people can sit in. But before the race, I get a, a pass that allows me to get on the track. And wow. this is when I first kind of started to respect racing because it's the only sport that allows you to get right up in the action before it officially starts. So all the race cars are on the track. They're, they're pick, the whole crew is out there around the car. They're touching some things up. And people are going up there and like putting their arm on the tire, posing for pictures. And the race is going to be starting within an hour. Wow, really? And, and, and then once you're on there, you know, they, they kind of start them up and you hear them like revving them up a little bit to test things. And it is like a, a man thing, like you were saying, just with all the, just being there, the loud noise and the race cars. Exhaust and, and fumes and loud noises. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the smell of the fumes Drink it is in. unique. But it's just amazing that you get that type of access. And so you can get some really cool shots and the, the drivers are out there. Um, they kind of come, they get introduced and they step on a pedestal and then they step off and then they all come together for like a team photo. And then they go up to their cars and you're, they're walking right past you. You're following them sometimes and they get in their cars and they kind of clear you off the track. But uh, I tend to linger in <laughs> some shots, some shots that I want to get. Oh, myself. I was supposed to leave. Oh, sorry. Right. <laughs> Didn't right. hear that. Didn't catch that. <laughs> Well, there was, there was one time where my job was to photograph the celebrities that were in the pace cars and everybody's getting cleared off, but I'm like, well, you know, I'm just going to keep staying here until I have to leave. Next thing I know, the pace cars start to go and most of the tracks cleared off. And then all of a sudden there's Mario Andretti, who's a, a famous driver. He takes off in his kind of lead car, which is, it was kind of like a pace car that led the race. And so I'm like, okay, it's probably time for us to cross. There's about 20 of us standing over here off to the side. Um, Jerry Rice was like four people next to me. Oh, cool. And then all of a sudden, wow. the first row of drivers, they take off. And then the next row, and the next row, there's 11 rows of, of three drivers. And I'm like shaking, freaking out, because I'm like, I'm pinned between this fence and these drivers. And <laughs> so I take out my phone and I start video recording it. And I'm thinking, if I drop my phone, I could really screw up one of these cars. And yeah. so then after the last row of cars came, the 20 of us that were there, we were like, okay, let's cross. And, and so I was like pinned against the wall when they started the race. And so that was, uh, that was unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I, think I, have, I have video of it on my Instagram. I think it was pretty cool. That is that. way cool. <laughs> so what about so, shooting the cars as they're going? Tell us about that. And so that's one of the hardest parts. Obviously the cars go over 200 miles per hour. And so what I'll do is I'll go and I'll sit up above where uh, there's kind of like some bench bleacher seating and I'll position myself where I have an angle to where, uh, where the finish line is, there'll be somebody up on a podium and they've got the flags, whether it's a green flag, yellow, red, and then at the end, the checkered flag. And so I'll sit there and get my timing and practice things to, um, to try to freeze the shot. 
of the winner right when they're at the bricks because there's kind of some bricks at the finish line and then i'll just then i'll just rattle off you know just just kind of spray and pray uh to to get the shot and i usually i usually will but it's all about positioning yourself there because there's thousands of other people also trying to find their spots and most of them aren't photographers they're just people with their cameras and so I try to bump them out of the way a little bit. So are you, because you, I mean, you usually wouldn't want to freeze the action, right? Because then the car is going to look like it's parked on the tarmac. So um, are you panning all of your shots? Uh, You really can't, you really can't pan from this position. Um, From, from this position that I'm at, I'm a little bit in front. So a little bit past the finish line, up high, looking down at it from an angle and you know, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll mess around with it as they do lap after lap because they do 200 laps. Oh, wow. So you've got a lot of time to sit there. <laughs> how, how long does it take to do that? To do the 200 laps? Yeah. It all depends on the accidents and yellow flags. It would be maybe somewhere around four hours. Maybe. Oh, this is worse than baseball. <laughs> <laughs> well, but what's entertaining is walking around and seeing everybody. I mean, there's guys in American flag speedos, you right. know, their face painted. Like that's the part where, uh, where I can't said, I'd come back to how it is entertaining. And it, as you're driving through and there's this area called like the snake pit, which is everybody who has had way too much to drink and should <laughs> wear a lot more clothes than what they have on. And, there's usually a, a band performing there, and so it's it's entertaining. But <laughs> and what gear did you use? So, for most of the race, I had my seventy to two hundred on. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I would have thought you'd you'd need something longer. No, huh? No, I mean, from where I'm at, in order to on my on my full frame, my five D um, Mark Three, I had my seventy to two hundred on, and from the position without zooming in. It allowed me to get what I want in that shot, but I have to switch a lot to do my use my twenty four seventy to get shots of kind of the people that are there to show them and inside the suite. Uh, I'll use that as well, but mainly my seventy to two hundred. Any lessons learned or mistakes you made? Uh, the lesson learned for me was to, you know, I've shot this. I think this is my seventh year of doing it, and my job really is to kind of stay and capture this for the group, but you know, four hours of watching people just sit there kind of doing the same thing. But my lesson learned was to just move around more and try to go somewhere else. And so I went to a totally different end of, of the bleachers and it was right at uh, turn one. And that kind of gave me a different angle. And that's right where there was a real, real bad accident. And it's amazing how, how the guy lived that, um, that he survived that. And uh, the person that got hurt, the race car driver that survived his name is Scott Dixon. Uh, so if you Google the accident, it's unbelievable. I think watch. I saw photos of it. Well, the guy that got hurt was a photographer and he was sitting there shooting through the fence and he got, he saw the debris flying up in the air. And so I guess it was coming towards him. And so he turned and kind of ducked down and he twisted his back and like pinched a nerve. So oh, he, didn't really? get hit. he didn't get hit by anything. <laughs> he, he laughed at it too. There's a, our newspaper here. It's called the Indie Star. There's a little interview with him and he's like, yeah, these two people get in this like death defying accident <laughs> and I'm the photographer and I go to the hospital on a stretcher. <laughs> so. Spectating Indy 500, man, it is rough business. Right. But he got some, he got some awesome shots. His name was Ron Grafman. 
Uh, and so if you Google it, he's got some really good shots of the accident taking place. And he explains how he was focusing on the front car and what he was looking for. But you see the debris in the air. I mean, the guy flipped up in the air and went over, lost the whole back of his car, the whole front. Like there was only one wheel attached to him left. And he was basically like in a bathtub and it smacked against a cement wall, which that you would have thought would have killed him. And then it flipped over. But there's this head guard and you see it like hit his head but the head guard just protected him he got up and he walked out of the car it's it's amazing you have to watch it even if you don't care about racing it's unbelievable so yeah so the photographer was the only person that got hurt wow i had i had people on my facebook page saying hey are you okay was that you i'm like (laughs) i was i was sipping a soda in a suite so yeah i was (laughs) (laughs) i was doing fine (laughs) turns uh, out it's pretty safe up there yeah but it's a really good gig for me um I made more money this weekend doing that than I do in a month of teaching. Wow. Uh, so it's w- when you can get into events, shooting events, uh, find a company next to you. That's like a, a DMC, which is like a destination management company. I think is what it stands for. Uh, and they're the ones usually to where what happens is if any, any organization, any company wants to come to your town, then uh, they may call somebody who's a DMC and say, Hey, we're coming in, we need a venue, we need a photographer, we need a band, we need food, and we don't want to worry about that stuff. So the DMC does that. And a lot of times they'll call me and use me as their photographer. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I had a couple of gigs like that in uh, when I lived in Florida, uh, just doing kind of like black tie events and stuff like that. And they usually have pretty good budgets for stuff like that. They're really good to get. I've never done anything nearly as cool as indie, uh, but but I think events can be great if you're working for you know for businesses instead of individuals. Right, right, and a lot of times they're repeat customers. You know, this again, this is my seventh year with them, and they enjoy me, and it's fun to see the same people every year and, and keep in touch with them. So it's it's a good gig, and they, this one company alone, they probably end up being about 40% of my income every year. Ah, that's awesome. That's Mm -hmm. great. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about sharpening in Lightroom in the second half of the podcast. But first, I want to take a second and thank Squarespace for their support of the podcast. Whatever your idea is, whatever kind of project you've been dreaming of uh, to take on this summer, you can count on Squarespace to help you create an eye-catching online platform to bring it to life. If you need a portfolio, a store, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace gives you everything you need to look like an expert right from the start. You can even get a unique domain name, that's your .com or .net or whatever you choose it to be, which strengthens your brand and makes it easier for visitors to find you. Plus, with Squarespace's award-winning templates, creating a beautiful website is a simple and intuitive process. But if you do have a question, you can talk to Squarespace's 24-7 customer support with any problem you might have. So to make your next move and start your free trial at squarespace.com today, enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's IMPROVE, I-M-P-R-O-V-E, at squarespace.com. Well, Jeff, you've been working on some sharpening in Lightroom. Uh, tell us about uh, about what it is that you've been been working on. Okay, so I want to start off by asking the both of you, what uh, there's four sliders associated with sharpening in Lightroom. Do you guys use all four? Yeah, I do. I don't give it enough attention now. 
<laughs> All right. So <clears throat> prior to the last couple of weeks, I've been doing editing of my portraits. I've had a bunch of seniors and school and family portraits, more than I can handle almost <laughs> for this hobbyist photographer. So I've, I've had a whole bunch of portrait sessions and I've had to go edit them. And uh, just as I was doing it, I was thinking, gosh, you know, I'm only using two of those sliders, actually. I was leaving two of them completely untouched. I never had bothered to go and actually understand how to use them. And um, I just had gotten used to setting like the amount to 75 and then using the masking, hold down the alt or option key, alt on Windows, option on Mac. And it turns the screen kind of it would white initially, and then you slide it, and it, whatever turns black won't get sharpened, and that's the masking slider. So I got used to using that and setting the amount, but I didn't ever really touch the other two sliders. And as I was doing all of these um, these edits, I thought, I need to figure that out how to do that. Those sliders probably mean something, and it turns out they do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I've come up, I, I have a process that I'm using now that's really seemed to be helpful and make it so that the sharpening can be way more effective than I was doing it in any of my other photo shoots. And it's not just portraits, it would be landscapes too. You'd have kind of a different objective when you're doing it with landscapes and, and you'd end up with different values than with por- with portraits. But uh, Lightroom can do a very good job with sharpening. Um, I was round tripping to Photoshop just to go use the unsharp mask in Photoshop. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and that was making a, a, it looks great. It does a really good job to use that. But the unsharp mask algorithm is built into those sliders in Lightroom. You don't have to round trip to get it to look like that. So, yeah. And if, if you're going to go to Photoshop, you'd at least want to use the smart sharpen anyway. Because as far as I know, smart sharpen was pr- pretty much totally replaces unsharp mask, which is kind of the older method. Yeah. Right. So, and Lightroom, they've, they've made it so that it, the sliders can replicate all of that sharpening stuff that's in, in Photoshop. So I've never had, I I think the tools in Lightroom are great. I, the only time that I would want to do sharpening in Photoshop instead is if I really wanted to get on a very specific area uh, that I couldn't get specific enough in Lightroom, but that's pretty rare. And you might need to do some masking to make it work well or whatever, then that's a, a different thing. But even then you can do the sharpening. You can't really, you don't have the control in the adjustment brush, but you can do some sharpening and, and handling noise too with the adjustment brushes. Anyway, let's, let's get back to the sliders and kind of this little process that I'm going through. I'm hoping that listeners will, will find it helpful to kind of walk through a little bit of detail about those sliders. So the first thing is, it's probably the most important part of this. You got to have a computer actually fast enough to keep up with you on the sliders if you change the slider and it takes several seconds before the computer catches up and shows you what the, the photo looks like after you change the slider, it's going to be really hard to use. <laughs> it's yeah. going to be terrible to try to make it work. You need one where as you move the slider, it is keeping up with you and you can see the photo updating with how the sharpening's looking. So that, that'd be the first thing. Make sure you got a computer fast enough to actually use this. Uh, okay, so then the next thing is start out at a zoom level where you can see the entire thing and attack the masking slider first. Um, so again, that's holding alter option on your keyboard. The whole screen will kind of turn white. Initially you slide the, that masking slider to the right. And as you do more and more of the photo turns black. And that means that the sharpening is only going to happen with whatever remains white. And so you can decide based on the photo and the different details that are there and what it is you want to sharpen, 
you decide by using that in the masking slider what it is you want to actually have Photoshop or sorry Lightroom to sharpen. And starting with the whole photo in, in doing the masking is is how I'm doing it. I, it seems to be working really well. You okay, so question, so Jeff. there are so there are these four sliders: amount, radius, detail, and masking. I think most yep. people only use the amount. Uh, just, you know, how much sharpening do you want? And that's right. it. Not sure what these others do. So what you're telling us is that masking is going to choose what specific areas are going to be sharpened instead of just doing it, you know, stupidly just applying sharpening to everything. So if we have yeah. a picture of a person and the background is blurred out, you don't want to sharpen the background. You, right. you blurred that out by having a, a fast aperture. And so if you sharpen it now, it's it's it just makes no sense. It's just going to be leave some weird artifacting and stuff. Uh, there, there shouldn't be detail there. However, on the face, well, yeah, you would want sharpening in that area. Or do you? Because do you eyes. want the sharpening on the on the hair and the eyes, but do you really want the sharpening on the skin? On the skin. Usually not. Right. And right. so the masking slider is trying to determine, uh, I mean, you don't really get to pick. I mean, you can't say, oh, come off the skin. Uh, light right. room is just trying to be smart enough to decide what areas need uh, sharpening and what don't. And so when you hold the option or alt key and slide, it will show you what parts it's working on to sharpen and what parts it's not working on to sharpen. And and that is super important to hold down that alt or option key because without it, you really, you don't, you can't see yeah, visually what's going on. You you wouldn't have a clue really. I mean, you kind of can tell a little bit at extremes, but if you don't hold down that alt and option, then you won't even see. So that, that's the starting point, full like zoom out so that you can see the whole photo and set the masking. Then yeah, so if you if you don't do if you don't remember any of this from the podcast, at least remember this when you're sharpening a portrait, at least put your masking slider up to 50%. Yeah, that's right. At, at least do 50. that. <laughs> Sometimes it's going to be more like 70-80% to yep. get the sharpening off the skin and onto just the hair and eyes and things like that. So just yep. remember this Jim and Jeff were talking about this on the podcast. What do I do? Move that masking, masking. slider up if and, you have a point. And the masking slider is the fourth one. So it, it, that's a little bit, and what I'm going through and, and trying to teach here is a little into, counterintuitive because it's not the first slider. It's the last slider in the sharpening. Yeah, and so, you, you have to bump the amount first because if you don't put the amount up at all, then the masking slider is actually grayed out. Correct, right. It has to be, and by default, it's on, at least for raw files, I think it starts at 25. So... Uh, so it should be on, should be available. You have to have some on to it. You, you don't need to worry about the other sliders yet. I recommend you start with the masking slider. All right. Then next I zoom in one-to-one -one, and if it's a portrait, I'll zoom in so that the face is showing and I can really see kind of up close what it is that's doing there. And then you can see a lot better kind of what the other sliders are doing and how they're impacting the sharpening. So I zoom in one-to-one -one, and now the next thing that I do after the masking is the amount and I go and put something big because I want to see the effect. I want to see it be an impact. You may not leave it there, but I usually go at least 75, maybe on some further, just trying to make sure that I can see it. Usually take it to the point where it looks a little ugly. <laughs> it looks a little overdone because I want to adjust it with the other sliders and it might even become something where after I use the other two, that over sharpening from the amount becomes fine. If not, I can always back it off a little bit until it become it looks more normal. 
But uh, so going just a little bit overboard on the amount, I, at least 75, maybe even up to 100. Okay, so the All way right. that I think of the amount slider for the sharpening is as if it were the opacity for only the sharpening. <laughs> like, just <laughs> how much of the sharpening do you want to have generally on the screen? You know, if, if you set it to zero, no sharpening at all, set it to 100 and they're going insane. Like a volume knob. It's, yeah. it's turning up the volume and making it more crunchy, as Nick, I think, likes to call it. More crunchy, now, now here, so. Question, though, to interrupt. Uh, Jim just got done saying to set the amount first, and you agreed with that, but now you're so, saying you do the amount after the masking? You can't. You could do it. In, it really won't matter too much either order um, because you're going to go fine-tune the amount kind of at the end. But by default with a raw file, it starts at 25. And what Jim was pointing out was if it's at zero, if, you, if your, your amount is at zero, you can't even use the other sliders. They're, they're disabled. So, so if you have, you have, have the, if one. you have your default <laughs> set up to so that amount is at something, then yeah, you could go to masking first. But if you right. don't, you're gonna at least have to bump the amount. Yeah, and so and and you can go. I think it's all the way to 150 on the amount slider. I never go that far. That's always crazy, <laughs> crazy crunchy, on the and unnatural on the sharpening. But uh, I, on a portrait in, in particular, I'll end up at between 75 and 90 frequently, very frequently I'll end up that far because of the other two sliders. Now, if you, did, if you didn't do masking and you didn't do the other two sliders and you just did 75 or even 90 on the mount, it's gonna look a little funny, I think. It's, you have to adjust the other sliders where that's probably too much on the sharpening on the amount. So it's all, it's gonna depend on the shot, it's gonna depend on what you want to sharpen, and how you adjust the other sliders to, to do it. So it's, it takes some getting used to, it takes some playing around with it to kind of get your eye trained to what you want to look for as you're sharpening, but it can be really, really good if you do it well. So then, uh, so with the amount set 75, maybe a hundred, just going over the top a little bit, it's probably okay as you set the other sliders. And again, on amount, I hold down alter option and all that does is turn it to black and white. And to me, it is much easier to see the effects of sharpening on the amount slider in black and white than in color. So I, I like doing that. I, I pretty much actually, as I'm doing all of these, except the very last step, I'm using that alt option key as I'm using these sliders. Um, there's a good reason that's there because it's a Adobe's scene. This is a really good way to, to kind of demonstrate or show you how the sharpening is affecting your photo. I so. only, only side note I'd like to throw in is I, I usually am a little bit lower than you on the amount just for my personal preference. I'm usually sure. more like eh, 35 to 55. Okay. And well, there, there's a difference too in, I shoot a crop <laughs> and it's a, you know, a, a Canon sensor. So it's going to vary significantly by sensor too. I, I know that there's a note I, I've seen in, in a publication recently where they said, if you shoot Fuji as the X-Trans, Unless you go up to like 90 or 100, it almost does nothing. So, yeah, I, I disagree <laughs> with this publication. <laughs> but but it's, it's it, a personal preference and it depends what you're using it for. If it's going right. for it's a tiny photo vary. on Facebook, then yeah, you're prob probably going to get over 100 and you'd be fine. Nobody's even going to sure. notice. So it's, it's going to vary uh, based on your gear and your personal preference about what you're shooting for sure. and, and, and what you're going to go for. So that's, that's the point is don't worry too much about the exact values. The process is what you need to make sure you try to follow uh, so that you end up where you want to be. Okay, so, so after the amount is done, maybe a little over the top, 
The next one, you can do either or uh, the other two sliders, but I next head to, uh, let's see, I think it's the uh, radius slider. So the radius slider, well... Can I add in one thing here uh, that sure. I think hopefully will help in the, with the radius and detailed discussion? Sharpness is made out of two things, the acutance and the resolution. Um, so when we're when we're talking about just how sharp a photo is, uh, one is the the resolution, just like how much fine detail is in the picture. Like when I take a picture of, of a bird's wings, how much of those little grains in each feather do I actually see in the photo? That's your acutance and then, or that's your resolution, excuse me. Then your acutance is how much contrast is there between those different shades, between those different colors, between the feathers, that fine little detail, the texture on skin, how much contrast is there? And so, um, by understanding that those two different things make up the sharpness of the photo, it helps us now to understand the radius and detail. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, no problem. No problem. Yeah. So those, these two things kind of deal with those two factors of the sharpening. You don't need to remember any of that. <laughs> what you just said, don't worry about the technical. No, you do. It's important. The... <laughs> no, not important. What's important is is kind of the direction and what type of photo. At least that's kind of how I've I've de- I've gone through it and and think about it now. And I, hopefully, other people will find it helpful. Radius slider. You hold down alter option so you can again see better what's going on. It shows you a better view. Kind of a a gray area where it's not going to affect it and then a white place. So it's not black and white like the masking was it's gray and white, but it makes it so it's, it's like pretty clear what the effect is and what the impact is. So again, holding out alter option and then on the radius slider, you go left for landscapes and right for portraits in general. That's not always going to be that way. And you're going to want to go, go see how that works, but radius left for landscape, right for portraits. And the Why? other one, what's that? Why? Well, so <laughs> because of what Jim just explained, <laughs> it, it, the way in, in landscapes, you want more fine detail and in portraits you want, it, it needs to be kind of, it, it does this like, uh, it, it's like a clustering sort of effect particularly around like the eyes. That's where I really notice it on portraits with the radius slider. As I go towards the right, the eyes become more and more prominent. And uh, you can go way overboard like you can with every slider in Lightroom, but it becomes more and more prominent. And I I really like, as I head to the right, um, how that looks with portraits. On landscapes, you kind of start losing detail. You start losing shape of the different things that are in the scene and it's just the opposite of what you want. So you go towards the left and, and it kind of does a better job of dealing with all of it um, more evenly where in, in portraits, you kind of emphasize some of the, the different features of the face and sharpen just like the edges of it. And um, so, so that's what I've been doing with the radius slider. And that, that has actually been like the biggest thing I've learned as I've done these portraits was how big an impact that radius slider had on sharpening for portraits. It was amazing to me the difference that that made to move that slider to the right. Um, I've ended up just values again, that's going to be variable, but like 1.8 on the radius has, uh, has really kind of been a, a big changer for me. I think it starts at one 
if I remember right, the yeah, default is one. So it, it's, it doesn't seem like that should make a big deal, but I think it only goes to two or two and a half or something. And it's kind of weird that the scale is so different on the radius. Yeah, I don't know why the, the scale others. is different on them. I don't know what the, the, I'm sure there's a reason for it. Something to do with the algorithm behind it or whatever, but <laughs> seems like <laughs> but they what, should just all go from negative 100 to, <laughs> to what positive 100, just like in the basic yeah. slider basics. It, and it confuses people. I'm sure they're like, why is this thing that only goes from zero to 2.5? What? Why is that different? But That's a good question. So. I'm going to investigate that, Jeff. I don't know why that is. <laughs> All right. So then the detail slider, uh, you can do these these two in either either direction. I've done both. And I, I play with them continuously anyway. So it's not like I'm, I finish one and I, I'm just done and I don't go back and adjust it. I, I play around with them until I see what I, I get. I arrive at a point where I'm like, okay, I like where it's at. So the detail slider is the exact opposite of the radius slider. You go left for portraits and right for landscape. Yeah, I, I don't understand this. I don't, I'm not sure where that general rule is coming from. I don't know the reasoning. I just know that at least for my eye and how I like, especially of portraits, that's really been helpful to use the radius and the detail slider that way. Well, when I'm, I'm doing this as we're talking and when I slide the radius to the right, it looks like it's sharper. Well, yeah, it is. Yeah. So you're saying you do that with portraits, but you don't do that with landscapes. I go the other direction on landscapes. Yeah. So the, the radius slide. So if we, okay, we're picturing those bird feathers again, the cute acutance (laughs) and resolution acutance, um, is talking about how much contrast around edges and the resolution is just how much tiny detail is there. So that's exactly what radius and detail do. So radius is saying, okay, we have this area of contrast, like picture this tiny little hair on, on a bird's wings, how, how much darker or how, how wide should we make this band of contrast uh, around this little hair uh, we could make it you know oh maybe it's pixels maybe that's why maybe it's it is the radius one is a two. measurement uh-huh. of pixels it's it pixels uh, that yes. makes sense now uh, so it's how wide this band is um, yep. of the darkness. And so if we have a high radius, um, it, it can overwrite some of the fine detail next to it. It's going to make right. more obtuse, more coarse adjustments to it. And then Which the detail slider is saying that all, it's just how much of an area of contrast are we going to say, okay, it's enough contrast. Now I need to sharpen this. How sure. fine of a detail should we go down to? Yeah. So like on the portraits, like I said, it, it really makes the eyes pop significantly when you increase that radius at the expense of sharpness on the skin, which is what you want. That's <laughs> exactly how you want it to work. You want the detail of the eyes to be so as fine as you can get it and not as much a detail on the skin especially around the eyes. I guess that, that makes that sense. You're great. Yeah, that's a good point. So, so you want that, but on a, on a landscape, if you did that with like a flower, the edges of the petals would become super, super sharp and you'd lose some of the detail of the petal itself or the rose or the stem or the leaf or whatever is there in, in the landscape. And, and I don't like that. I don't want yeah, it to Yeah, I guess to, to it just depends where you're using it, though. Because, again, if you're putting it on Facebook, yeah, you'd probably want to do that. Maybe um, so. Because you'd want to bring out any tiny little detail because otherwise it's just going to get lost. It's not going to be viewed in high enough resolution. But if you're going right. to print this sucker, well, then, yeah, you probably want to back down. 
So it is just general guidance. It's going to be specific to every photo. It may be, it may be that one photo you've got, especially for landscape, you end up not wanting to go in that direction and it's, it's going to look better the other way. So having the tool that, you know, hold down the option, you can see what's happening and move the sliders around and take a look. That's the important part. Where you end up is not at all important. It's how it looks and how you, you like it looking. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so the very last step then, unless Brian had another question. I do at the end. <laughs> <laughs> the very last step is after all of this, I, um, I, because you're zoomed in one-to-one as you're doing those three sliders, then I go back out and I look at it in color. And sometimes you can look and say, wow, there's like halos around stuff. And that would be an indication that you need to adjust that amount slider. You got to go back towards the left. You got to reduce that, uh, that amount slider. Um, cause it's just, it's, you've asked Lightroom to do sharpening at the expense of, of the pixels around it so much that it's, it looks like there's halos around things. So back off that amount slider until the halos look like they're gone. And you may after that go and play slightly around with the, the other sliders just to see if you want to change anything further. But, uh, but that's kind of the last part of it. I, I zoom back out. So I'm not one-to-one and I change the amount slider, reduce it to a, a level so that it doesn't look crunchy and it doesn't have halos. That's smart, Jeff. I hadn't thought about going in that order that you presented and it seems pretty logical. I like that. It's worked extremely well for me. It's made a massive difference on my portraits. I just was, I'm shocked. And I regret now all the portraits I've done for years that I didn't use this. Do you have this as a preset to start with or do you spend all this time on every single photo? Um, I, I had done it as a preset, but I'd only set the slide, the amount and masking. Like Jim said, you know, I end up on a certain masking level. It's pretty high on portraits and lower on the landscapes usually. So I had some presets that I did for that. But um, the even like in the same portrait shoot as I went and did it, as lighting conditions changed or as I was using different, uh, well, different apertures, the, the, the values I'd arrived at would be very different. So I, I kind of reset the sharpening every time. It doesn't take very long to walk through this once you, you kind of get it down and know what to look for. You, you, I learned pretty quickly on portraits what it is I want to see in the sharpening. And, uh, and it became really easy. Kind of like you see, you're used to other sliders where you probably have a real eye for it with white balance or, uh, I don't know, all the other sliders that you've got, in the, especially the basic panel. You're probably so used to using those. You know exactly where you're going to go and what to do to change something in the photo. And using the sharpening sliders became that way for me as I went through this and went through this process. I, yeah, knew exa- it, I, started, I started to figure out I need to move the radius slider to here. And that was something I'd never had before those last few weeks. And if you're using the improved photography presets, either on improved photography plus, or if you picked up the Lightroom steel, they, they should have all these set to reasonable levels uh, for you because it's going to depend on what style your preset. I mean, if you have a preset or you've moved the sliders to have just a lot of contrast and a lot of clarity, you probably also aren't going to want a lot of sharpening. And so it kind of makes sense to, to make the sharpening a significant portion of a preset because uh, then it can be tweaked to, to where all the other sliders are. Jeff, I have another question for you. If I'm doing, if I'm editing a thousand photos for a wedding, 
I'm not going to take the time to do this. Sure. sure. So w- would you just like, <laughs> pick, I, I probably won't take the time to do it for most of it. <laughs> would you take the time and just like pick out just like some of your stronger portraits or like when you do your family shoots, do you do that on every single photo for them or kind of like the ones that are closer or just some of the top ones? So, you know, in these shoots, I did probably between four or 500 shots, just making sure I have eyes open and all that. And so, you, you know, you end up with 10, 20 of the same pose. I, it would be consistent enough to, to copy and paste the sharpening settings, which is a good thing. You can do that in Lightroom to just copy and paste those settings across all those poses and have it, have it work very, very well. I would just have to go. And then I'd even, you know, copy and paste the settings to maybe the next pose, see how it looked. If it's fine, just paste them in there again. If it's a little, if if I thought, no, you know, I think I can get a little more out of the eyes, then I would spend that second to get more out of the eyes in that next pose and then paste them in. So I I think you can get pretty fast with it. And especially if you, maybe the important thing is you need to do it enough that you kind of figure out where to go with the sliders like you've done with all the other sliders in Lightroom, got to get enough experience in changing the sliders to know what they're going to do. And then it becomes much faster and easier to be able to apply it quickly in future shoots. Very cool. Are you going to make a video of this? I think I'm going to. I think I'm going to do it with a, a bunch of examples and go through how it is that I'm deciding that I want to change the different sliders and give a visual kind of thing is going through audio. I'm sure there's people thinking, I have no idea which direction he said on those sliders now. <laughs> Left, right, <laughs> up, down. <laughs> so uh, so I think that would be helpful. Uh, I know we've also talked about coming up with some cheat sheets from the various podcasts and things that people say to do. We need to probably come up with like a, a little, I don't know if it looks like maybe a bookmark or something, but some kind of cheat sheet that has uh, things that you could print out and stick next to your monitor and, and have it there to help remind you when, while you're doing your next shoot. With Very your cool. face on it. It's That's what I was face. just thinking, Brian. Not my face. I was face. thinking just Jeff right there. taco. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we want to go to give you the doodads of the week and also remind you that Improved Photography Retreat tickets are available right now. The retreat is going to be... Um, the weekend of March 20th, 2018 in Charleston, South Carolina, and tickets are starting to move. Um, you'll get some advantages by buying your ticket earlier, um, especially the the first crack at signing up for the post-retreat workshops, which were really uh, popular last year. Uh, so a nice uh, benefit by getting in there. Uh, and if you have done your, uh, if you're an Improved Photography Plus member or an alumnus, then you get $50 off. The ticket price is $4. $159 as three days of photography goodness. We have so much, uh, just tons of on-location shoots uh, planned for you. Uh, We want to use the cameras constantly and not just rot in a conference room all weekend. Uh, It's a fun weekend. If you believe that it's worth something to be with other people and make connections with others, this is the place to be. Um, And uh, hope you'll join us in Charleston, South Carolina. Just go to improvephotography.com and click IP retreat tickets at the top of the page. And Jeff, you have a contest going on with Photo Taco. We do. We're giving away three free copies of the Photo Pills app. And so the way to enter that is just post your best landscape photo, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be shot recently, even whatever your best landscape photo is. Post it on Instagram by midnight on uh, June 13th Pacific time. 
and include hashtags pound photo taco pound photo pills and then tag in the picture you can tag at photo taco podcast and at photo pills that just helps me to find your entries and uh, we'll choose three random winners so not we're not judging the photos we're just going to take all of them that entered and we're going to pick three random photos or uh, winners and uh, they'll they'll get a free copy of photo pills. Okay. If that's the case, then I hope somebody was going to post a photo of a taco. That's just be awesome. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Big old juicy dripping taco. Have you it, it says landscape them? though. It says best landscape. It so does say landscape. So a taco like have it be the field. foreground. Okay. <laughs> Cause if you've had the naked chicken chalupa from Taco Bell, it is fantastic. I hear it's going to be a new food group on the pyramid. Gross. <laughs> All right. Um, doodads of the week uh my doodad is a simple one it is step down rings i'll link you to one if you go to improve photography.com slash doodads um i i've known about step down rings for a long time but i've never really had occasion to use them because uh, i usually just buy the filters for my lens but i'm uh moving to 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 sony as i mentioned on the last podcast and uh, just for some fun, just to try a new uh, new camera system. And they use 82 millimeter filters on their wide angle lenses. And so, great, I need new filters because usually it's 72 millimeters for the wide angle lens. And so I just realized, you know, if you're buying new filters, you might as well buy big ones. Buy, I, 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 I mean, I don't know of any other wide angle lenses that use wider than 82. Anyway, buy some 82 millimeter filters because they're really big um, and then just get step down rings uh, for whatever system you're on. The advantage of that is, uh, you know, if you ever decide to switch between brands, you don't have to also invest a couple hundred bucks to switch your filters each time you can just attach a step down ring to it and just leave it attached on there. It's not really any extra trouble. That's my doodad. Brian, what do you have for us? Mine's mine's a do random of the week do and random. mine is a... Mine is a Yeti 30-ounce Rambler. Have you guys used a Yeti before, or do you own one? This is a cup? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, no. it's not just a cup, no. What, is it, what does no, it do? No, no, no. It's, it's, well, click on the link there, and you'll see. Okay. It's a mug. It's, it is. There, um, do you not know what Yeti is? Uh, uh, I've seen it for, like, big coolers. You're, yeah, okay. So Yeti is, like, the king of all kings when it comes to like coolers and so the rambler is just a mug that they make but it, they're unbelievable because like if you have a cold drink with ice it will stay like that almost for a full day like you'll come back to it and there's still going to be ice in it no or way really hot coffee it will still be hot like hours and hours later and so for me every day i make my own iced coffee and i put a bunch of ice and i used to drink it out of a ball jar and after an hour, the ice is melted and it's watery down and it's horrible. And I'm wasting ice and my coffee gets poured out. Well, I got one of these last week from a neighbor as a gift who he's amazing because of this. And <laughs> I use a fourth of the ice and the ice is still there. It's not watered down my coffee. And they're just unbelievable. You're probably the only two people on the face of the earth. <laughs> I no think way. we probably are. I think we probably they are, are expensive though. They are expensive. It's like a $40... Uh, a mug, you know, but it, it's worth it. I've been trying to get my wife to convince or to convince her to let me get one by saying I would save money because I spend so much money on ice. That it, you know, <laughs> ice tax. But, uh, it's it's just it's making us poor, honey. <laughs> <laughs> but my my neighbor was generous. Well, I don't have an ice maker. I was buying bags of ice. So oh, that's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. I like it. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. Right. 
Yeah. And Jeff, what do you right. got for us? So, so mine is uh, kind of, it's, it's boring for most people, <laughs> but it's, a, it's an update on the latest version of Windows 10, Creators Update. It's been out for a while. They, uh, they have not had any significant speed bumps on this release. So if you are a Windows user and your computer is telling you you need to update, uh, you shouldn't be too afraid of it. Most people are having a good experience with it. So go in ahead a and, sentence, and what does that. it do for us? What is it going to, you know, me? that's so I, I wouldn't recommend seeking it out because it's not going to change much for you functionally. Now that up, this last update was a lot more focused on under the cover stuff that they're prepping for their fall creators update. And why did they call it the creators more. update? Yeah, so they, they're adding tools that are supposed to help creators of content. Uh, Us. The, the, uh-huh. Um, but for photographers, I don't think there was anything in this this first release of it. Maybe in the fall, they'll they'll have something more there that will help. Uh, it helped some gamers. They, they could do like video game recording. They added a 3D paint tool, which is completely useless in my mind. <laughs> but some people might like it. Um, so we'll, we'll see what they come up with in the fall version, but there's, so there's not functionally anything to look for. It's, it's going to be forced on windows 10 users anyways. And, uh, so I, what I was just trying to say is it seems clean. It seems like you're fine. So you can, you can probably update without too much fear that it's going to mess up your system. Very cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. We appreciate your download. And Jeff and Brian, it was great talking with you again. Always enjoy talking with you guys. And we'll see you in another seven days.